Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your first Ben Jarofsky show for the year 2020. In the year 2020. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, still doing that in the new year. <laughs> your first Ben Jarofsky show for the year 2020 is just moments away. But before we get into this, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace, not Aerosmith Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9 sponsor this program, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring our program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor New Year. But same old way we start the show. Ben Jarofsky, hit him with that song of the day. Well, in honor of what we're going to be talking about for most of the day, I think I'll do this one. One pill makes you larger. Talking about pills? Oh, it's kind of a druggy song. Oh. One pill makes you small and the one that mother gives you doesn't do anything at all. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. (laughs) It is Thursday, January 2nd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times, writer Miles Camp Lassen is back to talk about his new year and more than likely marijuana. And we welcome Robert or Robin Peterson, co-chair of Chicago Democratic Socialists. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Reefer Madness Thursday, and here's why. Happy Reefer Day, everybody. Woo! Ding, 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 ding. Yes, indeed. It's Reefer Day throughout the state of Illinois, because as everyone is proclaiming yesterday... January 1st, reefer officially became legal in the state of Illinois, and Dennis went out and immediately celebrated by smoking a doobie, <laughs> which he probably did the day before. Anyway, just kidding. No, it's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, Dennis, uh, the doctor, will put away the doobie long enough to give us all the details in the news. And Dr. Doobie? That's what the D stands for, guys. Dr. Doobie. <laughs> it's a good one, man. Dr. Doobie with the news. But before we get to all those details, let me just take this moment to say that my favorite part of Reefer Day were the newspapers. Yeah, D. Only I, only an old geek who can remembers Reefer back in the 70s and when newspapers mattered would marry the two. But this is what I thought about, D. How would the newspapers treat this momentous occasion? Okay, so follow me on this, folks. The story broke 
Uh, the story occurred yesterday. That's when uh, reefer officially became legal and the dispensaries opened up for recreational marijuana or cannabis, as they say. Uh, and then that meant today's newspapers would tell the tale, right, D? So my beloved bright one, you know I love the Sun-Times. And it's not just because I do a show from the Sun-Times studio. That's not the only reason. I love my beloved bright one and have for years. Man, they were all indie, okay? They didn't play around. They, they were like, reefers legal, we're going all out. Uh, headline in my beloved bright one, reefer gladness. Reefer gladness. Get it, D? That's a pun. <laughs> reefer madness. Boy, I'm Chicago, helping people out a little bit. Chicago Sun-Times, they're the pun issuer. Oh, <laughs> they're very punny. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then uh, everybody stopped listening. <laughs> and then you open it up, and I, this one's even better. Well, Reefer Gladness was pretty good. Buzz Thrill. All right, Buzz Thrill. Get it, D? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Yeah, okay, like Buzz Kill. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, the, the Sun Times had four, count them, four reporters out in the street, including our favorite. Well, I shouldn't say our favorite, but we love Tom Shuba. What a great job he's done. Young Thomas. Tommy Two Joints. Tommy Two Joints. Every time I see him, he's smoking a cigarette, not a joint. But anyway, Tommy Shuba has been working this beat uh, for a year, I want to say. He's the hardest working reefer reporter in the uh, state of Illinois. He was up and at him. Let's just read this lead, D, in today's uh, Sun-Times under the headline, Buzz Thrill. Quote, around 6 a.m. Wednesday, Renzo Mahaya walked into Chicago Dispensary 33 and after perusing a menu, bought an eighth of an ounce of Motor Breath OG for $80. Wow, for, that's a lot going on in that sense. Stealing my local news. Oh. I'll keep going. Oh, it's well. fine. Oh, sorry, man. We, this is why we need the pre-show prep. Well, get here <laughs> earlier. Okay. Well, that's the point. That was just the point I was going to make. 6 a.m. Yeah. Somebody was there at 6 a.m. God damn it. If you could just get a little bit of Tom Schumann. Get what, here at what 1130. Were you, okay. Let me throw it at you. What were you doing yesterday at 6 a.m. while young Thomas Shuba was going interviewing people lined up outside uh, the dispensary in Uptown? What I were was you, passed out. Okay. Well, there you go. So was I. Uh, I think I had just gone to bed, as a matter of fact. Uh, I was up late on uh, New Year's. Anyway, uh, congratulations to the Sun-Times. A great coverage, great headlines, uh, absolutely a blast. And uh, what can I say? They did a great job. All right. Then you go, by the way, uh, one of the things that the Sun-Times had high, excuse me, uh, highlighted, uh, found very interesting, customers cross state borders. All right. Uh, this is an interesting little thing. They talked about how people are coming in from other states. And this gets to one of my favorite themes, uh, Illinois versus Indiana. Now, a lot of uh, the Republicans in the state of Illinois have been arguing for years that people are going to leave Illinois for Indiana because there's some because the taxes are lower in Indiana, or some taxes are lower, other taxes are higher. They always leave that part out of the story. Uh, but some, so, somehow or some way, uh, the Republicans in the state of Illinois always want to prop up Indiana as this wonderful, beautiful state that uh, everybody in Illinois is going to be uh, fleeing to because we take serious our obligation to like old people, all right, you know, who are on pensions, or we take seriously, like, f fixing our roads. Like, India, I don't know if you guys have ever been on the Indiana Highway, but look out for the potholes. Anyway, so let me just say that um, let's just compare vices. So Indiana, if you go to the Hoosier State, you get, when you cross the line, you realize very early you're in a state where they, you get access to fireworks. 
you can get access to guns, and you can get access to relatively cheap cigarettes, and they have gambling in Hammond, all right? So that's what Indiana offers. On the other hand, Illinois offers reefer. What do you think, D? Reefer? Versus firecrackers and cheap cigarettes. Hmm. I'm going with Illinois. Sorry. I don't know. My downstate mind is like, damn, that's, I don't know. <laughs> that's a oh, tough choice. That's tough. But then you throw the firecrackers in well, the that's mix. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Firecrackers, cheap cigarettes, gambling. Oh, versus- <laughs> Throwing a Mountain Dew, I'm sold. <laughs> Uh-oh, the sounds you hear, that Dennis's car <laughs> revving up as he drives to Indiana. I have a bicycle. Okay, he's going to ride. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, anyway, so pick your vices, folks. If you love those fireworks and ch- cheap cigarettes, or relatively cheap cigarettes, whose your land is your place. If you, lo- if you love reefer, you're going to stay home in the beautiful state of Illinois. I'm an Illinois guy, D, all right? I'm all Chicago, so I'm sticking in Illinois. Anyway, um... The closing line of the Sun-Times coverage, which was a a very extensive coverage, is let there be light. Okay? And uh, I just thought that was pretty funny. Let there be light. Kind of getting in Lightfoot's territory now. Yeah, it was getting in Lightfoot's territory. The point is the Sun-Times just was openly jubilant about uh, reefer being legal in uh, the state of Illinois, and they're going to ride that high as long as they can and as far as it'll take them. Meanwhile... In the other world known as the Chicago Tribune, it was more like buzzkill. Here's the headline in the Chicago Tribune. First of all, era of recreational pot dawns in Illinois. Okay. D, let's do I, our I, I kind of like the you, Tribune headlines. You like that one? Okay, here's the Tribune. Era of recreational pot dawns in Illinois. And here's the Sun-Times. Reefer gladness. Which one do you go with, D? Call me old-fashioned, but I really <laughs> like those Tribune headlines. Right to the point. Yeah. It really helped me out on the uh, top tw- uh, 10 stories of 2019. You so. hear that, Tribune? You have a huge fan in young Dennis. He won't subscribe to the newspaper, but he's a huge fan. I, on the other hand, am subsidizing your newspaper. I, on the other <laughs> hand, can't stand the Tribune, but I subscribe to it for some reason. I know. Every day, he comes, boom, lands on my porch. But anyway, here's the other headline in the Tribune. There's two stories. Uh, Long lines, gaiety, mark first hours of legal sales in Illinois. They had one, two, three, four reporters on that one. Uh, Sort of like, sort of sometimes-ish coverage, although not as openly jubilant as my beloved bright one. Uh, And then here is the other headline. Is just say no, now a no-go? How to talk to kids about pot. Wow. Well, it kind of rhymed. All right, what was it again? Is just say no a what? Is just say no now a no-go? Yeah. How to talk to kids about pot. All right, here's my takeaway on that one, D. The last person, place, or thing I would turn to for parenting advice on any issue would be the Chicago Tribune, okay? That would be the same newspaper, D., that helped elect Donald John Trump because they couldn't bring themselves to endorse Hillary Clinton in 2016. Instead, they endorsed Gary Johnson. Remember that, D? Oh, yeah. So why would I turn to the Tribune for advice on anything? How to deal with kids. You know what they need? A headline, D? They should have a headline that says, how to talk to kids about having a president who, one, lies, two, is a philanderer, three, steals from his own charity, four, mocks disabled people, five, hates women, six, makes stuff stuff up about Barack Obama being born in Kenya, and seven, is just an overall general beep 
Why don't we have a, a headline in the Tribune that talks about the president of the United States who does all these mean, nasty things all the time? And the Tribune, you should have a headline in the Tribune that explains what do you tell your kids about the fact that your newspaper couldn't even bring itself to endorse Hillary Clinton in 2016? That's a headline I'd like to see. What they're doing is they're keeping alive in that headline, the war on drugs. That's what they're doing. They're keeping alive on the war on drugs. Like for instance, gambling, state legalized gambling. Where's the headline in triple? What do you tell your kids about gambling? There's a movie out right now, uh, Uncut Gems, great flick. Adam Sandler, I urge everybody to run, 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 don't walk to see it. But it's all about how gambling can be all, can just consume somebody and drive them to destruction. Where's the tribute headline about that? D, you know, from just having lived for happy birthday by the way young man it was your birthday the other day yeah, happy yeah. birthday thanks uh from living i don't know whatever you are 25 years old whatever you're young 36 you're mo- oh, okay okay whatever 36 25 it's all the same to me <laughs> yeah. anyway you've lived you know the destruction of uh, alcohol alcohol is legal you can buy it pretty much anywhere in the state of illinois where's the headline about the de- what are you going to tell your kids about the destruction of alcohol i'll tell you what you tell your kids about the war on drugs the war on drugs was a hoax kids it was only a war on black people. It wasn't a war on white people. By and large, it was mainly black people who got sent to jail. That's what you got to tell your kids. So already you can have a discussion about the inconsistencies and double standards about how laws are enforced in our country. And how about the slogan, uh, just say no. That was pure propaganda, folks. That was a slogan cooked up in the 80s during the Reagan era by some slick marketing dude who probably was high when he cooked it up. That's the other freaking inconsistency about uh, just say no. People who were saying just say no were probably either drinking, gambling, smoking reefer. What other vices could they have, D? Just take a look at our president. Just name all the vices he has. That's so funny. It's like we've legalized marijuana, but we've been fighting this phony war on drugs for so long we can't quite let go. There's Listen. I'm not saying you go tell your kids to go smoke a joint, just go get high, you know, but the first thing you want to be honest with your kids, life can be very difficult. Life can be very rough and tough, filled with misery and disappointment and depression and all kinds of horrible feelings that you need some help to cope with. Some people do cope with it by smoking reefer. Other people, what? They go to therapy, they do yoga, they go jogging, whatever they can do to get by with the miseries, to to deal with the miseries of life, that's what they're gonna do with. Maybe you could talk to your kids about that. But you know something, I don't think any kid in the world needs help figuring that out. They know life could be depressing anyway. We got a great show today, everybody. No depression on this show. Miles Kampflassen will be in the studio from In These Times. It's sort of lefty day on the Ben Jarofsky show. Some people would say every day. As opposed to. Another day. No, it's so always lefty day on the picture. We, we sometimes have like Joe Biden types on the show, right? We have you know, when Nick Spazzato comes in, then it's not lefty day on the Ben Jarrett yeah, show. Uh, who else? That's it, okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Anyway, it's Lefty Day in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Miles Conflassen from these times will be here. Robin Peterson will be here, Democratic Socialist. I'll be explaining Democratic Socialism. And uh, we'll be taking our uh, uh, our crystal uh, ball out, D, and making predictions for the new year with all our guests. And you know what? I might give them that old test, D. Still Uh-oh. have it right here. Yeah. See Uh-oh. how smart they are about music. And these are youngsters, D. They're your generation. Well, we may want to check if they've been smoking some of that legal reefer before you give them a math test uh yeah okay although some people I, I, this is weird about smoking marijuana some people it seemed to uh, help them it, it, I, I was 
It didn't do me any help at all. Uh, I could never smoke and like do this show, for instance. Uh, but to other people, it seems for some reason, it just sharpens their brain. So, you know, maybe they uh, smoke and can pass this test. Anyway, we're going to have plenty of political talk ahead of us. Before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie. <laughs> <laughs> The man they call the doctor with the news. There we go. That's the new nickname in 2020, everybody. Dr. Doobie. Still waiting to just be called Dennis. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, and today, we're not really going to talk about what's happening this afternoon. We got a little bit of what's going on this afternoon in Chicago and or Illinois. Pretty slow news day, as you'd expect. And I imagine that'll be the case until next week. Plus, it's kind of hard to follow the big news from yesterday. Ben was just talking about it. Hallelujah! Recreational marijuana is legal in the state of Illinois, and holy crap, did our colleagues at the Chicago Sun-Times knock their coverage out of the park yesterday. We have a few quotes from day one, but first, uh, the results just came in. And shout out to our dear friend, political know-it-all, and maybe the biggest Ben Jaromsky show fan on the planet, Frank. We got some numbers as far as sales numbers for yesterday in uh, recreational marijuana. There we go. Okay, let's figure it out here. We got the totals. All right, hold on. Oh, wait. All right. More than 77,000 transaction netted nearly $3.2 million in marijuana product sales on the first day of legal cannabis in Illinois. The Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation reported 77,128 transactions took place at cannabis dispensaries around the state of Illinois, generating once again $3,176,256 and 71 cents on day one. Here's the quote from another dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, Toy Hutchinson, also known as the Cannabis Czar. (laughs) She got got a nice title out of this. Yeah, it's a pretty cool title. Uh, Here's Toy here. She says, quote, as we start a new decade, Illinois achieved a monumental milestone, launching the legalization of cannabis in a way that includes communities left behind for far too long, creates good jobs, and expunges thousands of records for those who have lost out on opportunities and ends prohibition. While some disagree with the level of social equity worked into the state's legal marijuana plan, thousands of residents lined up early Wednesday to be among the first to purchase cannabis as recreational marijuana became legal. So Wait, was the that the whole quote? That was from, no, no. Oh, the, the second part was uh, mm-hmm. from the article itself. $3.2 million to sell. D, you're good at math. Oh, What's yeah. 3.2 times 365? Hold on. <laughs> Carry the one. Minus that. Okay, hold on. Uh, <laughs> All right. Wait. I have no clue. Uh, I can't do the math in my mind right now. Too much reefer. Anyway, Frank, help us out there. But uh, it's a lot of sales. It sounds like a lot of sales. Uh, proving the point that we've been saying all along. People love marijuana. People are ju- generally jubilant about this, D. You know what I'm saying? They're, like, really happy. And it's so funny with the, like, the naysayers are coming in. Yes, folks, absolutely. Uh, some people, then the stories to come of people who end up in the hospital. We talked about this uh, uh, on Tuesday with Lisa Solomon. People who consume too much of edibles, people who've never tried it before or not ready for it, et cetera, and so forth, uh, and wind up in a hospital. Uh, there's then, you know, the notion of like, uh, kids who suddenly say, well, it's legal. Maybe I'll try it now. I don't. So yes, there's negative side. Life is not filled with just positivity. Okay. There's always going to be a downside and it will be explored. We will hear about it, but let's be honest. This is a day of mostly jubilation.
I I haven't seen really except for the Tribune. Like, what are you going to tell your children? Headline. I haven't seen a lot of uh, doom and gloom on this story yet. I guess uh, uh, it, that may come in, uh, eventually, but not a lot of gloom and doom yet, D, on this story. Sun-Times reporters uh, Tom Shuba, Rachel Hinton, and Ashley Razine, and production crew members like the smartest man I know, Videotech Brian Ernst. Big B. They were all around Chicagoland yesterday providing up-to-the-minute coverage on day one of legal cannabis in Illinois. Thousands were in line Tuesday to get them some of that legal reefer. And like Ben was mentioning here, at around 6 a.m. Wednesday morning, 31-year-old West Loop resident one Renzo Mejia made the first legal purchase of recreational marijuana in Illinois history. Benny can tell his grandchildren about that moment when he gets older. Yeah, yeah it was the first. First in line, man. <laughs> I think he's got his picture in the paper and everything. All right. Mejia lined up at 11.30 p.m. Tuesday to be the first in line. Like Ben said, too, he bought an eighth of OG motor breath. Do you know what that is? Man, it's just a brand of weed, I guess. A motor breath. Oh, yeah. By the way, here's a question for you. I'm going to okay. throw this one at you. All right. I was having this discussion with my wife, and she was seeing the, 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 the Sun-Times was on the kitchen table and the Tribunal as well. Yeah, equal opportunity. And the New York Times, which, by the way, the wor- life goes on, yeah, ladies and Equal opportunity until the Ben Jarowski show starts, and he just <laughs> trashes them. Uh, life goes on in the New York Times. There's not one mention of legal weed in the front page of the New York Times, just to show you, you know, we're... Uh, Illinois is just one little dot in the entire world. A lot of news, a lot of it gloomy, speaking of gloomy, uh, throughout the world. Anyway, uh, so my wife was saying, do you think that the fact that weed is legal means that people will now, for the first time, take the opportunity to try it? Well, it was illegal. Now we're going to try it. Wait in line. And my theory is, not one person who lined up uh, was a reefer uh, virgin, if you will. In other words, my hunch is, is that most of those people, every single one of those people had smoked reefer before. Well, yeah, you lined up like five hours early. You know, could, of course they've smoked weed before. I mean, could somebody, you know, it's it's always been uh, illegal, but now it's legal. I think I'll give it a shot. Well, you know, I may hate this, but I'm going to line up at 1130 at night the day before. By the way, can we just take a moment to reflect on how uh, Bruce Rauner, remember Bruce Rauner? Uh, that was the governor before this current governor. Uh, went on that radio show downstate Illinois, wherever, I forget the radio station. Carterville, Illinois. Yeah, you have a great memory. God dang, you have a good memory. Yours is awful. <laughs> he goes, having legal reefer is going to turn us into drug dealers. Remember that? Uh-huh. And It'll the host, never. Tom Miller. Oh, now, Bruce, we got to get these damn dirty <laughs> dopers out of here. What? My uh, Tom Miller impression. I'd be flattered. I wonder, I wonder if they're selling it in Carterville. Do you think so? I mean, I would assume. I know they're smoking it down I know, there. I know where I'm from. Uh, the old 618 uh, Collinsville, Illinois, is the only place that's selling it. So well, Legally. Yeah, legally. That's the important point. Yeah, legally. Yeah, yeah. Legally. Remember yeah. that guy, the cookie guy? Yeah, I mean, you can St. hook Louis? it up with a cookie man. You know, He'll probably sell you some. All right. Mejia lined up at 11.30 p.m. Tuesday to be the first in line. He bought an eighth of OG motor breath. Yeah, for 80 bucks, an eighth for $80, my goodness. All right, as soon as the order processed, a cheer permeated the small showroom floor, and employees and customers embraced. To be able to have recreational marijuana here is just mind-boggling, said Mejia. To be able to now make the first purchase in Chicago, it's just surreal. Mind-boggling and surreal. The words I use when paying $80 (laughs) for an eighth. The line outside the dispensary 33 was more than 500 people deep by 6.30 a.m., stretching east along Argyle Street and north onto Glenwood Avenue to Winnemac Avenue. 
Michael Mendera, general manager at the Herbal Care Center at 1301 Southwestern Avenue, said there were 40 to 50 people in line when he showed up at 5 a.m. Within an hour, when the store opened, the line ballooned to a couple of hundred people. It's a mob scene, <laughs> Mendera said. Nick Slasinski, I probably butchered that one, and his wife Jennifer of Plainfield, Illinois, got in line at 1.30 a.m. and were the first customers to enter Rise Joliet. We don't have to hide it anymore. We don't have to feel guilty, I guess, said Jennifer. I can't wait for the edibles. We've been waiting a long time for this, said Nick. Uh, I like that. Let's get them on as guests, man. Inside, Joliet police officer Jeremy Eaton admired the beautiful morning. Here's a quote from uh, Officer Eaton. Quote, I've been pro-cannabis for a long time. It always should have been legalized. I'm with the Officer Eaton 100%. We need to break that stigma about police and cannabis and I want to let people know that we're not the bad guy. I'm with them 100%. In fact, you know, here's the funny thing. I know a few uh, police officers. I'm not going to name their name. I knew them before they were police officers. Guess guess what, D? Hmm. They were smoking reefer. Okay? okay? Don't All say right. their name. <laughs> I want no names on the Ben Jarofsky show. We'll keep it uh, secret. So, yeah, no, it's just all part of the hoax, the phoniness of the war on drugs. And uh, God bless Officer Eaton for saying that. And Jennifer, what's the lady's name, Jennifer? Yep. I don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. You know, people lined up for, D, have you ever lined up for anything overnight? Just anything, absolutely anything. Have you ever done that? Um, buy tickets for a concert or a ball game or anything? Anything? I'm trying to think. No, I think maybe like a Black Friday once when I was younger. Oh, God, I hate Black Friday. All right. I've, I've lined up I I haven't lined up for anything since this is if you can imagine this I was 20 years old oh my God. can you imagine me at age 20 oh. good God I lined up to get Rolling Stones tickets oh. all night okay for the Rolling Stones and one time I got in line uh, for about two hours to get a pancake at Walker <laughs> Brothers <laughs> Walker Brothers, you know, the pancake house at yeah, Green Bay yeah. Road? Good, those are good pancakes. They're good pancakes. The only reason I did it was because my friend really loved this pancake. And so I did it for him. I will never do that again, okay? I mean, the pancake was good, but it certainly wasn't worth getting in line for. Customers at MOCA in Logan Square were able to wait inside Emporium. That's a neighboring bar that shares the same owner and had a bevy of arcade and table games to pass the time. Nevertheless, wait times were stretching beyond four hours oh. by 2 p.m. And New Med Chicago, near Westtown, had to turn away about a dozen customers about 30 minutes before closing at 7 p.m. due to the sheer volume of people visiting the store. Only those who had checked in at the dispensary around noon and waited several hours can get inside to be served, said Jonah Rapino, director of marketing for New Med. According to Rapino, the dispensary ran out of marijuana flour. <laughs> the traditional <laughs> Lisa Solomon predicted that, didn't she? Yep, she called it the traditional dry form of the plant that is smoked around uh, 4 p.m but still had plenty of edibles, concentrates, and other products. Boy, I still hope they have edibles when we do that. Ben Jarofsky <laughs> gets high and does a bonus interview. Interview. That would be awesome. He, he estimated that they served about 500 customers on Wednesday. One customer, a teacher, who asked to remain anonymous... A bunch of bravery there. Said she had been waiting in line for almost 30 minutes. New Med was her third stop after being turned away at two other dispensaries where the lines were too long. It's disappointing, but to be expected, she said. 
The store reopens at 10 a.m. Thursday, but Rapino said he doesn't know when marijuana flower will be available again. Mm. So that was a little coverage on day one of Legal Reefer. On to our day two coverage, and yes, there are still long lines to buy recreational marijuana, and yes, we have more quotes from people in those lines. Okay. People like Katie Moody and her boyfriend, Jack Crawford. Okay, all right. Well, by the way, uh, Miles Complessen has joined us. He he left line. This is how much he's dedicated to our show. He got up early, got in the line, was in the line for four hours to buy some legal reefer, but he knew he had to be on the show, so he left. His, I just made all this up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he left his place in line, and he's here. He's got a doobie, uh, by the way. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Dr. Doobie. That's uh, me. I'm Dr. Doobie. I've, <laughs> I heard the news. I, you know, congrats on your new, new title. I, I, and I said it. I created Created it for myself, unfortunately. <laughs> I did get just get an update from one of our, our friends, uh, Mike Utrecht. Uh, that the, my God. Uh, what do you know? How do I know? Mike has got the Apparently update. in Logan Square, there's still an hour wait right now for... Uh, Wow. At the MOCA, the, the, the one on Milwaukee Avenue. So. If you're listening to this and you are a, a, a seller of marijuana, like uh, the, the guy I buy from or something, just go outside these lines and go, hey, guys, went in the line? <laughs> I got some right here. You know what I mean? Well, now, uh, do you have the breakdown on the uh, how much it costs versus how much like Nickelback Bernie is selling it for? Or, uh, no, I don't. But I know here. that there is like a recreational tax. So the medical patients, you know, get it for a cheaper price. And then the recreational tax, you get it, you have to pay a little more. Yeah, and what about Nickelback Bernie on the street? What about him? Uh, how much is he selling it for? I mean, if it's a Nickelback, I mean, he would do it for like a nickel. Well, I don't no, know. Um, hey, can we talk about Katie Moody and the I'll boyfriend Jack oh, Crawford? I'm sorry, I got on a tangent there. Go Good ahead. Good Lord, they drove four and a half hours from Kentucky Wednesday. The least we can do is talk about them. Wow. They drove four and a half hours from Kentucky only to be <laughs> turned away from a North Side pot dispensary because too many people were ahead of them in line. So the 20 something couple rose early Thursday to be sure that they wouldn't encounter the same problem. Quote, we wanted to be part of the experience. Anywhere in the country, we've got to fly to go experience something like this, said Crawford, as he and Moody stepped out of Sunnyside, a dispensary on the north side. Both carried little tangerine shopping bags containing gummies and marijuana flowers. All right. The, the drive was worth it. That would have sucked, man. To drive all the way from Kentucky to be turned around. To be, to be sure, to be sure, lines were long Thursday. How they compared to first day of legal pot sales in Illinois wasn't always clear. Store managers either referred questions to corporate types or said they were too busy to talk. By 9.05 a.m., about 130 people were waiting in line at Sunnyside to avoid blocking the sidewalk in front of their businesses. Customers were directed by a security team to evade store on the other side of the street about a block away when they were letting groups of 12 or so uh, back to the pot shop. So a lot of uh, a lot of people in line, but it seems to be organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, organized chaos. Uh, by the way, I'm going to, Miles in the studio, maybe when we, after the break, I'm going to ask him for uh, his favorite vices. Does he favor Illinois as opposed to Indiana? We'll get his views on the great breakdown. Uh, people are coming to the state of Illinois to buy recreational cannabis D. I think, you know, maybe that'll reverse the trend where people are leaving the state of Illinois. Maybe this is a positive that can get people to stay in Illinois. So there you are. The latest on what went down yesterday. Day one of legal reefer in the state of Illinois. Of course, we'll keep you posted on this as today's program rolls along. But people, don't go anywhere. Because coming up after this short little break, we're talking progressive politics, uh, maybe chicken sandwiches, more than likely marijuana, all kinds of things with our good friend in these times writer, Miles Camp-Lassen. So don't go anywhere, people. It's the Ben Drofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. 
The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Ben, please stop talking about the Bulls. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. The first one of 2020, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, the Bulls, by the way, are just a game or two outside the oh, final playoff. Please stop. And here's the Sun-Times. We've been talking about the uh, headline in the Sun-Times, Reefer Gladness. Get it, Miles? Reefer Gladness. Got it. But if you flip it over in the sports page, doubling down. Bulls only a couple games out, but... Zach thinks they can make it. Zach, attack, Levine. <laughs> All right, everybody just it. tuned out. <laughs> All right, no Bulls talk. One day, Miles, I'll bring you in for We do those uh, periodic Bulls roundtable discussions. We'll bring you on for that. Show people that Be the man to. can talk more than politics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. All right, Miles. Uh, first of all, uh, are you excited uh, about legal reefer in the state of Illinois? What are your thoughts about this in general? Well, like uh, Dr. Doobie told us a little bit earlier. <laughs> okay. uh, that one's sticking. That one's, I kind of like it. <laughs> Dr. Doobie. Almost 3.2 million in a day is pretty incredible. I mean, that's, uh, you know, goes to show that why there was such a mass, uh, you know, rush to embrace this legislation as soon as Democrats took over in Springfield. I mean, this has been, um, you know, there, there's been marijuana legalization uh, legislation before and it kind of installed and they kind of, you know, fiddled with it under uh, Rauner knowing that, you know, nothing was going to pass under, under Bruce Rauner. And now they've done this huge legislative package. And I think the most critical part of it is that, you know, uh, Governor Pritzker pardoned over 11,000 people. Uh, in total, there's going to be over 700,000 uh, records uh, cleared, expunged because of this legislation. And I think that that is going to be the real um, impact of this mm -hmm. legislation. Of course, there's, you know, a huge taxing uh, opportunity here that we you know know that they say the majority 35% is going to go to the state's general revenue funds but 25% of the taxes is um, set to go to investments in communities that are most affected by the war on drugs. So that's things like economic development, violence prevention. That's going to be a huge task, I think, for reporters to follow that and make sure you know that this money is going where it was intended to go, and for advocates, of course, as well, and watchdogs to make sure that this is actually happening as it's supposed to. But if that's true, I mean, that's a huge boon um, in terms of providing some level of equity because 
of legalizing marijuana. So, I mean, of course, I think that this is a new day in Chicago, uh, in Illinois, and people should be very proud of it. Yeah, I, uh, y- you hit, you emphasize the points I think are most important by legalizing, which is officially ending the war on drugs as re- in regards to reefer and to marijuana, or at least it seems like we're ending. We'll see where this thing goes forward. You know, who gets arrested in the coming years? Well, the, uh, coming I think months. that that is a real uh, other side of this is that, you know, some of the money is supposed to go towards upping enforcement of the black market. And we know that the way that you know, police departments across the state and across the country have carried out uh, enforcement has been targeting primarily communities of color and poor communities. So if we see those discrepancies continue, that's still going to be a, a huge problem. So that's something that we I think we have to look out for. Well, one of the uh, I was teasing the Chicago Tribune in their headline was what are you going to tell your kids basically about marijuana? Uh, and uh, there's many things you can play off on that. Uh, you know, like, why don't they have a headline? What are you going to tell your kids about legalized gambling, legalized uh, uh, alcohol, you know, cigarette smoking, et cetera, and so forth? Like, they're still picking on marijuana as the thing that's horrible and scary. And if you look, if you look in that sometimes uh, issue as well, they talk about how in states that have legalized, the teen pot use rates actually have gone down because of, you know, the, it's destigmatized and, you know, it's enfor- enforced better. And so people, you know, wait longer to start doing it. So I think that there's still more moral panic, obviously, about, you know, oh, we're legalizing another drug, you know, what the hell can happen, we're going to see all, and yeah, like you've said, you know, we're going to see ambulance rates and uh, usage and emergency rooms up a little bit because people freak out on drugs, but it's not because it's a real public health issue. Well, one of the things I would love for parents to discuss with their children, which I'm sure will not be discussed anywhere except maybe in my household, is uh, the war on drugs. And the the, uh, horrific effect that's had on communities and families and people since the war that was declared during the days of Richard Nixon. Uh, I I talk a lot about my favorite stoner movies, uh, Miles, but one of my favorite movies uh, about drugs is one that got little notice. It was called um, Kill the Messenger. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was about a journalist named Gary Webb. Jeremy Renner played him, and this was a crusading investigative reporter uh, in Southern California who was investigating the connection between the Reagan White House and the uh, sudden uh, upsurge in crack use in uh, black neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a very sobering movie, and I urge everybody to check it out if you want to know uh, something about the war on drugs. But I, I do, I amidst the jubilation that we're uh, we're feeling, or many of us are feeling, over uh, marijuana being uh, illegal, I would hope the United States would reflect in some ways. It's by the way, the war is still going on. It's still illegal. Let's, let's just point that out. We're just, we're, Illinois is an island. It's still legal, illegal federally. Well, and there's still so many, um, you know, barriers that all of these businesses face because it's still federally recognized as a, you know, a drug as dangerous as heroin because of how, you know, inane our drug classification on the federal level is. And be, because of that, the there's all these, you know, different uh, obstacles that businesses have to go through to put their money in because they can't put them in normal banks because the money from the business is considered illegal on the federal level. So until we see a change on that level, it's still going to be a huge challenge to really make this uh, equitable. And I mean, that's the other thing I think is you remember there was this huge push by the Black Caucus before the end of the year to stall mm-hmm. legalization to July 1st because of the fact that all of the business owners that apply for these licenses are white. And, you know, we are not going to see the, therefore, the type of wealth redistribution we'd want to see 
um, across races because of how, you know, one side is, you know, the people that were already in the business, and certainly what happened in Colorado and other places, it was rich white people that ended up benefiting from all of this. So I think there's still obviously opportunities for new licensing and for there to be more uh, diversity in it, but that's going to be a, a challenge as well. All right, let's move away from uh, legal reform for the moment and talk about uh, larger issues outside. I was I was saying uh, that, the, that both the Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times headlines papers are filled with stories about uh, legal marijuana. Meanwhile, you go to the New York Times, which is obviously not uh, Chicago-centric, and we have pro-Iran clash at U.S. Embassy ends in Baghdad. Uh, Trump's talk fails to quell twin threats in Iran and North Korea. Uh, Warren keeps Medicare plan at a distance. And uh, it's creepy, unexplained drones swarmed by night over prairie. In other words, Life goes on outside of, of uh, Illinois. Of Illinois. Uh, so just in general, at the start of the new year, so many things we could talk about. And any one of these things we could pick apart. Let's just start with the most general thing. What's your sense? You're like if you're crystal ball, what to expect for 2020? Uh, well, obviously, by this uh, time next year, we will have a you know, either we'll be entering the second administration of Donald Trump or we will have a, um, a new president, most likely a Democratic one. Um, and that portends, you know, a massive uh, change in how this country uh, runs. If we see a doubling down of Trumpism, um, the biggest impacts, I think, will be initially be on um, the future of the dealing with the issue of climate change. And, you know, the, the climate scientists have told us, the UN has told us, we really have less than 10 years to fundamentally transform how our economy operates. And if we don't do it in that amount of time, we're going to see irreversible effects. And obviously, we are seeing the impacts of climate change. I mean, look at Australia with these uh, horrendous fires that are going on now, the worst in decades. Um, but the UN climate scientists have also said it would take uh, $300 billion to uh, stem greenhouse gas emissions emissions is the about the investment that would be required and stave off climate change for some period of time or at least the worst effects to give us some more time to deal with this crisis um, we know that you know there's American three Americans that have that much money Jeff Bezos uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett they you know together their combined uh, net worth could help could could uh, achieve that goal and yet the way that you know the incentives work in our country right now it's all about wealth generation at you know the um, expense of actually having an environment that is livable for the planet and for the people living on it and for having you know a decent standard of life that's really what I think we've seen over the 2010s was the um, the true results of this neoliberal economic uh, worldview that has been playing out for you know at least 40 years now. But I think that the past 10 years have really proven it to be a failure, and I think it's going to be time for something new in the new year. How much uh, of an issue do you think climate change is? You just laid out how important it is. It's, yeah. it's like the future of the world. Yeah. Uh, there was just an article in the paper yesterday, I haven't even talked about it, uh, I'll probably talk about it later when we bring in some EPA uh, folks, uh, about how uh, even the consultants that Trump, uh, advisors that Trump appointed, are saying that the EPA is being run by people putting about phony science regarding uh, climate change uh, and other environmental threats. And yet, I don't know how potent of a campaign issue is. As scary as important as it may be, 
Uh, I'm not getting the sense that voters are going to be making their decision on it uh, in the coming uh, in the in the coming presidential race. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, amongst Democrats, it is one of the pivotal issues, but that's you know true in the primary, not necessarily in the general election. I mean, the number one issue that voters uh, care about is the economy, and generally number two is uh, health care. You know, and sometimes those go back and forth. I think the only way you uh, can sell a message of um, how to deal with the threat of climate change while also raising people's standard of living and making their lives better is to combine those messages and say, hey, if we're going to deal with uh, you know, a, a formidable threat like climate change, which is not just a national security issue, but obviously threatens you know, whole cities, whole coastal regions, um, and will cause mass migration and you know, changes in uh, how geopolitics operates, you need to say you know, the way we deal with this is by making massive investments in public projects and by you know raising people's um, wages, by giving them opportunities to get jobs, by providing them free health care, by you know taking away student debt, by freeing people of the chains that you know hold hold them back every single day in this society, and that's I think what if you look at what Donald Trump is saying, it's the economy's great, you know uh, unemployment's down, we're living in the boom times. And that might be true on the stock market, but as we know, the vast majority of the gains since the uh, end of the Great Recession have gone towards the um, ultra-rich. And certainly because of his tax bill, over 80% of the benefits from that GOP tax bill from 2017 went towards the richest Americans. And a new poll came out that said, right now, only 31% of Americans say that the current economic conditions are helping them, and 46% say that they're hurting them. Well, so, I missed that poll. 31 to 46? That's right. 31 so, say it's it's helping them, 46 say it's not helping exactly. them. Exactly. So, I mean, this goes to show when you, you know, you can brag all you want about economic numbers, but when the minimum wage, federal minimum wage, is 7.25, and it was 7.25 um, in 2010. You know, nothing has changed in terms of while inflation has gone up, while cost of living has gone up, we have not seen any changes in the minimum wage. We we, we have seen huge openings on the progressive left in terms of building popular support for policies that are widely, uh, you know, redistributive. Things like Medicare for all, which would provide guaranteed health care at the point of service, free of cost. Things like you know free college tuition; those are popular programs, but we have not seen uh, federal action on them. You know that's where the it, why it's so it's going to be such a pivotal year because I think as we saw in Illinois, I mean Illinois is a long way to go, but once a Democratic uh, governor came in here, we saw a slew of progressive legislation that was ready to go, mm -hmm. and we could see a similar kind of change in the direction of our politics. But if Donald Trump is reelected, no doubt they're going to double down on having this anti-science EPA, and they're going to make sure that we're, you know, reverse any progress that we have made in recent years to not only solve the climate crisis, but, you know, from healthcare to economy to education across the board. Well, if Donald Trump is reelected just on this, uh, on the issue of the environment, that will be sending a loud message that the United States, the, the people who rule in the United States, the voters of the United States, the citizens of the United States, have decided they don't take serious all the words of warning that scientists have been making. They don't take, if, you, if, the, if you vote for Donald Trump's Republican Party, you're saying you don't believe everything the scientists are telling you and you believe Donald Trump's proclamation that it's a hoax. And uh, I think that's a very depressing statement in and of itself. If you just focus on, view the election and, 
in terms of that one issue. Uh, I agree, but I do I do think that it's more about it's not just what people believe. It's they want to vote for something that's going to improve their lives. And of course, long term, you know, staving off climate change is going to improve their lives. But what is it going to do for them right now? And I've got to be honest on this one. When you have Joe Biden, who just the other day said, <laughs> you know, laid off laid off minors, you, you yeah. can learn to code. If that's your, you know, you could <laughs> get a job coding. If that's your solution, you're not going to get people to vote for you, I don't think, even if they believe in climate change, because they just see it as another attempt to, you know, uh, write them off as working class people. And instead, you need to provide an alternative. And that's the real promise of this Green New Deal is that it's not just job retraining and, you know, giving funds to support laid off climate and fossil fuel workers, but it also, you know, it provides a federal jobs guarantee and includes, you know, social safety net programs that we haven't seen embraced in this country in decades. So I think that that's the way to you know talk about climate on the campaign trail. All right, trail. fair enough. You're, we're heading. I can see we're heading into a Bernie country. Where you're heading into <laughs> a discussion of the 2020 Democratic race. You've mentioned Biden, and that just instinctively thinks I think of Bernie Elizabeth Warren. But before we go there, I, I have to share something with you. I don't know if I was obsessively talking about this. Uh, you you uh, the last time you're in the show, uh, but. Over the the Christmas holidays, I, I've read uh, several books about the early days of Obama, and uh, I've come to this realization. My, my lefty friends are going to laugh at me. Go about time, Ben, but I've come to this realization that a huge opportunity was squandered uh, in that first year when D uh, President Barack Obama swept into office with a real mandate for change, uh, overwhelming triumph, far greater than anything Donald John Trump got in 2016. He actually won the election. We'll start with that. But he even won more of an electoral college uh, victory than Trump did. Uh, and uh, had it was a Democratic House and a Democratic Congress, excuse me, a Democratic con uh, House and a Democratic Senate. And Obama won Indiana. He won Indiana. Yeah. He came close to winning Missouri. I think he, I don't think he won Missouri, but he came very close to winning Missouri. Anyway, the point won North Carolina. The point is, Miles, when I read about how, like the people who were advising Obama and uh, the decisions they made early on that they weren't on the, in the issue of health care, that they were not going to push for health care for all, that was off the table immediately because they wanted to appear bipartisan. They didn't want to alienate the insurance companies, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and w while they were doing this, Republicans were gearing up to fight them all out, leading to Trump eventually. Um, I, I, I'm struck by... The reality that we've squandered so much as Democrats, and I'm not sure that the Democratic Party, my beloved Democratic Party, is taking the same lessons that I'm taking from these early stages of Obama. We have this discussion in the show all the time. Like, should Obama have gone in a different direction? And other people say, Ben, why are you talking about that? Uh, that was 10 years ago. Well, it's very much alive in this current presidential debate as to what is the best way to beat Donald Trump. Uh, so how do you look about, I mean, were you, when you look back at the Obama years, those first years, were you excited when Obama first got elected? Were you soon disappointed uh, with the path, the path that he uh, took? Well, I was, uh, the, one of the reasons I know that he won Indiana is because I was in Gary knocking on doors for him in 2008 um, and got the train back in town just in time for the Grant Park rally. So yeah, I was definitely excited and not only by uh, Barack Obama as a 
politician and, you know, kind of a figure, but by the movement that he built and, you know, the enthusiasm and the people at the, you know, going out to canvas and bringing food that hadn't been involved in politics were completely cynical before um, and how excited and engaged that they got. What um, I think when I talk about how the 2010s were dominated by um, the last vestiges, I hope, of this neoliberal worldview, it is uh, because that the same approach of market fundamentalism, essentially saying, you know, we got to prioritize the private market and be wary about embracing, you know, government-led programs, that has dominated uh, our politics for my entire lifetime. And we're finally, I think, seeing a referendum on that in this election. I think that 2016 was a little bit of that, but right now it's really being put on trial, and that requires a referendum on the Obama years, uh, which for me, you know, I started to lose a little bit of faith as soon as Rahm Emanuel got uh, appointed as chief of staff. And as we know, he was one of the leading figures in making sure, for one, he pushed for them not even to work on health care. He said it was too divisive. He lost that fight, but he, of course, worked to whittle down any um, proposals to make sure there was no public option, things like that. But he also really worked to lower the stimulus, which Christine Romer, all these uh, you know economists, more progressive economists in Obama's administration, said, we got to get over a trillion dollars. We need to really boost uh, this economy. And we should brand it as, you know, this is a positive government-led thing. Instead, what Obama did, or his team did, is they decided to, like, hide all the benefits of the stimulus. So you didn't really know you were getting it. You know, George W. Bush famously mailed every American a check for a few hundred dollars, you know, to let them know he's giving back to them. Obama had a very different approach, this kind of technocratic approach of saying, if we just do enough to stimulate people's pocketbooks, they'll, you know, start spending more and that'll stimulate the economy, and we they won't even have to know that the government had anything to do with it. I think that's such a you know backwards approach, and ultimately fails because people don't see the government actually improving their lives, and it follows the same kind of fear of you know the Bill Clinton the government era of big governments over kind of approach. I just don't think that that. Um, has worked for people. And I don't think that, you know, when we look back on the Obama years, there was a lot of positive, you know, changes we saw. We saw, you know, a version of the DREAM Act put in place. You know, there's certain things to be proud of. But as I said, continued wage stagnation, you know, healthcare, the healthcare mess, we still have tens of millions of people without any coverage and um, far more uninsured. It's just not clear to me that that uh, Obama-like approach, which I think is what Joe Biden is basically running on, saying we're going to go back to the Obama years, is going to motivate people because, as I said, you know, these economic conditions, this is, you know, over 10 years out from the end, supposed end of the recession, and yet people are, don't have a positive view of how the economy is helping them. That's not, you know, in the after our last depression, um, there were huge stimulus programs, and people were way more confident about the economy, and their, you know, economic conditions radically improved. We just haven't seen that. And, you know, Dodd-Frank, all these different financial regulations haven't stopped the monopolization and mass accumulation and concentration of wealth at the top and in big corporations. And I think the only way you deal with that is by saying, we're going to take on corporate power and we're going to redistribute wealth. All right. Now, uh, now we're ready for a discussion of the 2020 presidential race. And before we take this discussion, I want to say uh, we, we, we are kind of known. We're very Bernie Sanders friendly on this show. Uh, I voted for Bernie in 2016. Right now, he's my my the, the guy I'm uh, leaning toward. 
I think that uh, Dr. D is a Bernie guy as well. But we're open-minded here on the show. We bring on all kinds of people. I want to say the Heartland Mamas will be here tomorrow. Uh, they are very critical of Bernie bros, and they're, they're going to be opening up about not so much Bernie Sanders himself, but Bernie Sanders supporters, how freaking obnoxious they can be and how they turn off some uh, other Democrats. we got the Heartland Mamas. And I also want to promote, take this opportunity to promote our hi- uh, hideout show in February. Uh, we're, we're not doing a show in January because the hideout's closed for renovation but the first week first tuesday in february we got carlos ramirez rosa debating uh, brandon johnson i'm looking forward to that carlos will be a, a surrogate for bernie brandon johnson will be a surrogate for elizabeth warren should be a great debate discussion. Great. yeah i'm really looking forward to that two really smart uh, young progressives from the city of chicago yeah. uh, but the point is you have a choice Democrats, you have a choice, and you got to take it serious. It's not just what's the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump, but what's the best candidate, in your humble opinion, that could lead the country after Trump has been defeated. So we'll start with that as a general thought. Uh, Give us the the up-to-date of what the world looks like right now. Uh, a miles in terms of the 2020 race. Well, today was a um, big day in terms of the uh, fundraising race because the Senator Sanders released uh, the fundraising totals for um, the fourth quarter, and he raised 34.5 million dollars. Um, and total, that's $96 million over 2019. Um, it came from 1.8 million donations, uh, which means that one out of every 300 Americans has now donated to Bernie Sanders. How many? Um, one out of what? One out of every 300 Americans, okay. 1.8 million donations and 5 million donations overall. So this is the most ever uh, presidential candidate has uh, received at this point in the race. Um, it's an $18 average donation, and the main professions of the people that donated to him were teachers, and the, the top employers were Walmart, Starbucks, uh, Amazon, Target, and the Postal Service. So That's you can so, uh, how you, do we time out? How do they know that? Because you have to put in, when you donate to any political campaign, you have to put your occupation. It's a federal requirement. Wow. And so you have to say Amazon worker. Yeah. You say you say your job title and your employer. And so more than 99.9% of these donors have not maxed out their contributions, which means they haven't given the total amount so they can just keep on donating. How many? What percent did you say? Over 99.9% have not. And that is not true for plenty of other candidates that yeah. rely on, you know, individual con- contributors giving the max amount. And that's how they boost up their fundraising total. So the reason I focus on all this, and, you know, lead off on a discussion of the 2020 races because this is, you know, how we're beginning the new year is getting ready for, you know, it's a month until Iowa. We are going to really see which campaigns are able to persevere. We saw today Julian Castro just dropped out. I think we're going to see more um, changes in the field, but the top of the field is pretty unchanged. And that's, you know, generally in national polls, it's Bernie and Biden. Um, somewhere in the one and two slot, and then uh, Warren and Buttigieg. And in Iowa, obviously, Buttigieg has a little bit higher of a um, polling average because he's been dumping money into the state. But we're going to see that start to play out. But what's so important about 
um, I think Sanders' donations is that this is what, he talks about political revolution all the time. You know, people scoff at it and say, "Oh, that's you know, he's just pie in the sky." And what does that really mean? Well, when you have this type of a groundswell of support from everyday working class Americans, they're the ones that are actually powering your campaign. That shows every time that you know Pete Buttigieg does a wine cave fundraiser, he says, "I gotta, you know, I gotta have all of my uh, weapons on my side to defeat Donald Trump." Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it. Well, Buttigieg raised $24.7 million. That's that's a lot of money, but that's way less than uh, Bernie's fundraising total, and he didn't do any of that. So maybe you don't need to be uh, appealing to all these incredibly wealthy people. And we know that you know Joe Biden, last, he hasn't released his numbers from this time, but last time he raised around $15 million in the previous quarter. And he also has said that uh, to the rich, while doing a campaign, while trying to fundraise, he said nothing will fundamentally change for you to the to, to wealthy people under his administration. I don't see how you can, you know, enact the type of bold redistributive policies that are animating the Democratic Party right now if you don't fundamentally change life for the ultra rich in this country. I think that that's just a prerequisite for um, any type of fundamental change. So. I've not seen these numbers uh, break down, so I just want to know, do you have, uh, you, you say Bernie raised $34 million in the last cycle, That's and right. Pete Buttigieg, you said 24.7, yeah. is that what you said? Uh, does it, do you have the breakdown on how many donors Buttigieg had? <clears throat> I don't know the number, but it's it's nowhere near 20? a million. Just kidding. <laughs> it's, uh, a small, it's a much smaller. What's the max number. you could give? I've... I've Blanked like on it. Twenty seven hundred or something like that. I don't know. Uh, a, a year or a cycle? I'm not. I'm not sure, sure on that. But it's. Yeah. But it's way. I mean, because the average. If your it's average donation is eighteen dollars, which is for for Sanders, that means most people are giving. You know, around that, they're mm-hmm. not. They're they're not. He's not getting many. You know, thousand dollar contributions if his main donors are teachers and Walmart workers. Well, I did see this, and I'm always skeptical, Miles, of anything I see on the internet. I should say I'm skeptical about everything. Uh, life in Chicago has taught me to be that way. Uh, but I saw somebody was passing this around on the internet. Uh, it was a breakdown of Chicago public school employees, oh, and yeah. uh, I forget of who have given donations to this in the presidential cycle to various candidates. And w- number one. One by far was Bernie Sanders. I think it was 520. I want to say for some reason that number pops in my head. Well, I think it was. Yeah, I think that it was like almost half of all the political contributions, or maybe more than half, were to Sanders, and then the rest were broken down between. Other and, and number two was Buttigieg, which I had a laugh. I mean, <laughs> God bless my uh, Chicago public school employees, but what do you see in Pete Buttigieg? Well, whatever. Anyway, you know what? To, to each his own. They yeah. like Buttigieg. Uh, so I don't know how accurate that is. Like I said, my first question is. How do you know this? Uh, and uh, it's, I guess, in the age of uh, computers, if people have to declare where they work, uh, you could do some kind of instantaneous breakdown. But it is, uh, it does show uh, that uh, Bernie Sanders um, is following through on his declaration that his election will mean a fundamental change in the way we do politics in this country that he will not go back to the old ways where you allow all like the lobbyists for the main industries into a room leave out this is what obama did i hate to say it at 2009 when he cucked up uh, uh obamacare and you just like leave out the lefties <laughs> and anybody who would like promote uh, health care for all they weren't even allowed in the room uh they didn't have a single hearing on it 
and we've already now the house has had now their Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus in the House. She's already pushed for there to be um, hearings on Medicare for all in the House. So okay. that has already happened. So we've already seen a big change in that way. It just hasn't, you know, resulted in a policy shift. All right. So let me throw the Bernie Bro question at you tomorrow uh, already uh, in advance of. Um, uh, the Heartland Mom is coming in here tomorrow, and uh, I actually I just had a, a conversation with Stacey Davis Gates about this. She'll be on the show next week, uh, and other people have told me, not just the Heartland Mamas, uh, that Bernie Sanders supporters can be so obnoxious. Not Bernie so much, but his supporters, uh, and uh, is so self righteous or uh, so hostile to anybody who disagrees with them, and that's a turnoff. Um, what's your response to that? Well, I, every I think we talked about this a little bit last time I was on the show. I think that there's you can always have a you know guilt by association type of approach to politics and say you know that um, whoever is you know acting as a supporter of a campaign publicly is uh, representative of it. But you know most of the I think the focus of you know this bullying or whatever bad behavior usually comes from online. It comes from people, you know, on, on Twitter, on social media. And there's a real toxicity on those websites that I think um, belies something very different from what is happening on the ground. You know, the average Bernie Sanders supporter is not posting on Twitter or dunking on other candidates, really. They are people that want to see you know, uh, their health care bills radically lowered. There are people that want to, you know, make sure that they can provide for their kids and have a, you know, live a, under a living wage. When you have, you know, as I said, the supporter, we just, you know, laid out some of these demographics of the supporters. There were people that work at Walmart and Starbucks. These are probably not the same people that are being criticized as the Bernie bros. And as we saw also, you know, Bernie actually has the most support overall of candidates, uh, of all the Democratic candidates from voters of color so it's not exact it's not as representative i don't think i think in 2016 obviously there was a real affiliation of bernie sanders supporters with these kind of taco uh, macho machismo uh bullish dudes online <laughs> and you know of course they're, they're, i i can't explain again or apologize for uh, you know all these people's behavior necessarily but that is not representative of the whole of bernie sanders base of support when you look at the people that are out there as his surrogates ilhan omar Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, I think that that's far more representative of the type of um, mass multiracial working class led movement that uh, his campaign is building. So I don't think that I understand and there, I'm sure there's individual examples of Bernie Sanders supporters being terrible. And I would there's plenty of you know things that people will say I might disavow personally. But on the whole, I don't think that that's a very representative sampling of the type of support that uh, he's generated or that his campaign is built, because it's really about a lot more than Bernie Sanders, as you said. I mean, the whole not me, us thing is not a cynical way to you know generate excitement or something. That's his whole theory of political changes, that movements are what actually changes um, the tectonic you know shifts in American politics, and that the only way to achieve the type of 
uh, policies that are going to be radically opposed by um, uh, all the you know power structures in American society. Things like you know getting a, a single payer health care system. Um, the only way to prevent the forces that hold all the power right now from uh, stopping those types of policies is by getting people on the streets demanding it and by building a movement. And I think that's really was what people thought was going to come out of the Obama campaign in a lot of ways. You know, he had the organizing for America and, you know, had this huge list and it kind of became a fundraising vessel for the DNC. And as we saw, you know, the DNC lost a thousand seats across the country over the time Obama was in office. So it didn't really do a very good job on that end. And there weren't things like, you know, mass rallies to support universal health care under Obama, even though he talked about that on the campaign trail in 2008. I think that that's the real difference here. And it's, you know, what will be the test for the Sanders campaign if it is successful is can you, you know, use this mass mobilization of working people and turn it into a vehicle for achieving this more fundamental change that he talks about. But if these, you know, fundraising statistics are any, um, you know, evidence, then I think that it shows that, yeah, people are ready, working people are ready to um, get involved in a way they haven't before. By the way, uh, my next guest is in the studio, Robin Peterson. We're going to bring her on pretty soon, but I'm just going to tell her. I'll hold back on this question for Miles. Uh, if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren is a candidate, we well, no matter who the Democrat is, we're going to see uh, a, a 21st century version of red baiting thrown at that candidate. It's all, They're already gloating about what they got on Bernie, which I personally don't know how effective that is going to be among millennials uh, in the 21st century or even old baby boomers uh, who've lived through it all. But just uh, we'll get into that a little more when Robert Peterson is here. Before I let you go, i got to give you the quiz. Oh, yeah. All right, quiz so time. Quiz time. Now, before I give you the quiz, let me just um, uh, say this about uh, Miles. Uh, before he became an intrepid journalist for In These Times... Uh, He's good at piano. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. This is tr- but if similar, similarly. Oh, okay. Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> he was a rock star. I didn't know this until I saw someone post this on Facebook. Now, I, I said this earlier. I tend not to believe anything I see on Facebook. Uh, just a skeptic in me. But this declaration that Miles was a rock star came from Miles himself. And it was accompanied by a photograph of an even younger than he is now, if such a thing is possible, Miles being younger than he is now, photo of Miles. Miles at Whitney Young High School in Chicago That's right. when he was in a rock and roll band. Did you know this, D? Miles is in a rock yeah. band? Yeah, yeah, he plays guitar. You knew that? Yeah, dude, he's been on the show to say. He hey. said it before on the show. <laughs> hey, Dr. Doobie, I forgot, okay? <laughs> anyway, so he knows a lot about rock and roll. So I thought I might throw this little quiz at him. This is a quiz from the New York Times. Had a lot I haven't of seen this today. So. This not, well, this is Sunday's newspaper. Okay. I'm probably the only person in the world who actually read Sunday's paper. Everybody else was waiting in line at a reefer center to buy their legalized reefer. Reefer center. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> so what the rally playlists say about the candidates, all right? Uh-huh. So this is an article where they took a look at the playlists of the major candidates for uh, the Democratic nomination. And uh, they playlist. I, you know, before they come on stage, they play music. All right, to fire up the crowd. So we are having a little fun with this. Uh, I hate to say this. The only one's playlist that I really knew was Joe Biden's, personally, because I'm an old guy. So I knew his playlist. Uh, so I'm not going to give you the quiz. Okay. All right, so we, you could, yeah, I'll give you a choice. You can pick uh, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Dennis's favorite, Mayor Pete, uh, Corey... <laughs> 
Cory Booker. Still doing that joke in 2020. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, Julian Castro, who actually dropped the, out of the race and said, so those are your choices. So which p- playlist would you like to be uh, tested on? So what am I, what am I, what am I, am I, I will gonna... give you, well, how do we do this, Dave? I give him oh, the name Jesus. of this. <laughs> okay. You give him the name of the song and you see what artist, yes. if you can name the artist. Right. He had to help me with this. Oh, one. last time he did the quiz, it was awful. He didn't run it by me beforehand. He just goes, hey, uh, that, uh, you ever heard that song? Like, it's just yes or no. Like, yeah. Who was the person in the studio when I did that? I can't remember, but they were like know. cheating. Yeah, I've heard of it. No, wait. Uh, so, uh, okay. I don't know. I'll do anybody. Just, you know, start. start. All right. We'll give you, um, okay. I'll give you Corey Booker's playlist. Okay. Uh, that is his second favorite candidate. How'd you know? <laughs> he has a very long playlist. Uh, no, you know what? We're going to go with Bernie because that's your Bernie. guy. All right, Let's we'll go, go with Bernie. Bernie. All right, number one, Brooklyn Go Hard. <laughs> Any help from Robin? <laughs> that's the name. This is the name of the song. That is the name of the song. Brooklyn Go Hard. Brooklyn Go Hard. Got, I got nothing for you. On that. All right, uh, Doctor. I mean, I'm just gonna guess Beastie Boys. And that's no sleep till Brooklyn. Though. A negative. Jay Z featuring mm. Santa Gold. Okay. Mm. All right. Whatever. Been knew uh, that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> I know this one. Disco Inferno. Uh, you know the song. I do know the song. Uh, who the hell sings it? I don't even know. Uh, you will never know this in a million no, years. No, I don't. I got nothing. Robin, you know? Robin's like, uh, I'm not even the guest. Don't look at me. Uh, the Tramps. Uh, oh. One of Dennis's favorite groups. I think that's um, not the original version of that song, but whatever. Well, you would know, uh, old guy. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, on Bernie Sanders' list, Runaway, You and I. I have never heard of this song. I have no idea anything about it. Oh, nope. Jason Mraz? Uh, negative. Galantis. Have you ever heard of Galantis? No. Who's making up these playlists? <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, fi- okay. I you love Galantis. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know this one. Hopefully. You will know this one. Hopefully. America. Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Make a change. I don't know. Buckwheat, Zydeco, one of Dennis's favorite groups. Uh, on the Road Again, the live version. It's Willie. That's right. On the Road Again. <laughs> Love that song. Uh, <laughs> Living Legend, Willie Nelson. Yes. And finally, we'll go with one last song. We'll see if you could do this one. Taking It to the Streets. Taking It to the Streets. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing, though. D? Taking it to the streets? Yeah. Ice Cube. No, no. Oh, it's named uh, by the band. Uh, it's sung by the band for which you were named, the Doobie Brothers. Oh. <laughs> Dr. Doobie. Hey. Uh, anyway, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Miles, you were a rock star back in high school, but you've been spending so much time covering politics. Probably would have done better with Biden's playlist, to be honest. Oh, my God. I, I killed on Biden. Biden's old. Don't Biden. read the playlist. Let's know. move on. I I'll told you. I, went, you know, I, went, I recently saw Bob Dylan. I'm, you know, I'm uh, kind of an old hat myself. The, the only one that I couldn't do on. Well, actually, there's a couple I couldn't do on Biden's playlist, but. Um, uh, and then they do these cover versions, which how dare they? But learn to live. Do you know that's on Biden's playlist? No, Tom De- Petty, maybe. Uh, D- Dennis's favorite, Darius Rucker. Oh, oh well, okay. he's from. You've been Hootie keeping and the track. Blowfish, I have like right? thirty favorite things. 
in the last five minutes. I do Love know that, that he's the, he was the lead he's the lead singer of uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, who's now having a, re a renaissance as a country artist. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he's supporting Joseph Biden. I've met Hootie and the Blowfish. But anyway. Really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think his name is Hootie. It's Darius. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a lot of people think uh, that Miles Conflassen is the lead singer for uh, Hootie and the Bullfish, but it's not true. It's not true. Uh, he's that a here. trepid journalist for In These Times. Uh, give out, as you always do, any articles that you want people to know about that you've recently written? Um, I'm, I'm working on articles, so you should uh, keep checking InTheseTimes.com. Um, but I took a little break. I went down the uh, California coast. I went down uh, Northern California. I went to Big Sur. The you know, One of them was beautiful places in the world drove down the one on all the cliffs Damn, cool. i'm so you, jealous dude. Yeah, everybody's got to do it i'm just gotta wait I gotta did say, you rent a car uh i used my girlfriend's car we drove down her family lives in oakland so we drove from there down the coast through santa cruz big sur monterey where they filmed big little big little lies uh, it was a sight to see oh that's ben's uh, favorite uh, movie <laughs> actually um Monterey is where they filmed one of my favorite movies, as politically incorrect as it is, uh, Play Misty for Me, which is way before anyone in this room, nobody knows what I'm talking about, Clint Eastwood's Play Misty for Me, 1971 flick in Monterey. Wow. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen oh, it. What a great but they do have an the most incredible aquarium I've ever seen in my life in, in Monterey. Mon in Monterey. So, so wait, did you uh, did you go to Malibu? Then no, no, we no, we so we we started in uh, like around you know in Oakland and then just drove down to Big Sur, which is about halfway through the state, kind of uh, towards Los Angeles, and it's you know it's the most beautiful part of the world I've ever you know driven through. That's for sure because sure. it's you know it's made for that experience of driving on the cliffs on the Pacific Ocean. So Man, anyway, so I was not writing articles over oh. <laughs> over break. Like I, you know, I'm so saw jealous. some of the world. Uh, all right. Well, uh, he'll have some new articles next time he comes. He comes in here every Thursday at 1.30, and I really appreciate it uh, tremendously. Miles will be helping us uh, figure out what's going on in the world in 2020. So That's Miles, for sure. And I just want to, you know, another little uh, appeal to get involved politically. This is the time. You know, there's, uh, as I said, less than a month before Iowa. Um, it's this going to be, you know, uh, people always say the most important election of our lifetime. But there is no doubt in my mind that this is going to be, you know, uh, a clear cha uh, change in direction for the country is on offer right now. And if you want to see it happen, then get involved. All right. Very good. Uh, my next guest, Robin Peterson. It's Lefty Day on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Robin Peterson, Democrat Socialist uh, in the studio. I, I, that, I said that already. Miles and Dennis goes, every day is Lefty Day on the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. We just call that Thursday. <laughs> uh, so we'll bring Robin on when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters.